Well, we are in our second week of 2022, and I don't know if you have them, but you remember a time when New Year's resolutions actually were a popular thing to do. We made them, we broke them, and we're about a week out right now from what's called National Ditch Day. That's when you set aside those resolutions. You know, today they're actually considered kind of archaic, even considered dumb, criticized for being counterproductive. But goals are not counterproductive. And the best chance to hit a target is to have aimed at something. And the new year is usually a good time for us. There's something about us, this new thing, to where we come back and we want to ask ourselves, what do we value? What are our roots? In fact, from a church standpoint, what does Grace Fellowship need to ask about ourselves, about questions, about spiritual health, our witness and our plans. And these questions should be always asked looking carefully at what scripture informs us about ourselves. You know, the Bible speaks personally and globally to us. It speaks to humanity, all of us, to help us evaluate where we are what needs to change, what can stay the same. And I know, as I said earlier, the Bible basics is going to be an opportunity for the Florence campus for us to explore what does scripture actually teach about some of these things. But there are some plain things to see. You may not understand all the Bible, but the Bible does speak clearly and plainly, straight talk, telling us things about ourselves about our spiritual health, how to examine it. And so today, what I have entitled this message is Return to the Foundation. Returning to the Foundation is looking at the fundamental things, understanding what does Scripture say about us, what we need to understand as we move into 2022 and beyond. So here's the first thing I want you to see. Scripture, when it speaks to us, tells us that you and I, we have a spiritual position. A spiritual position. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, that's in the New Testament. If you'll turn there, I want to show you just really from a couple of verses, which will be a place where we launch today, but we're going to be moving about. Moving about through Scripture Addressing this issue about returning to the foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's look at two verses. Now I want to set the stage first. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is writing because there were some that basically had set aside the idea of resurrection. And he addresses that head on. Head on. That we are, to be, we are going to be resurrected in Christ Jesus. But if you're looking down in verse 21, he jumps into a theological argument in two little verses, two little things that are fundamental, foundational, that I want you to understand today. Paul wrote in verse 21, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. So also in Christ, all shall be made alive. Now hear me, I want you to see, 
I want you to see what Paul is arguing here. Regardless of the difference of the background that you come to this room with, no matter the culture you're from, the color of your skin, the tribe from which you hail, whether you've no privilege or want, regardless of your stance, urban or rural in background, the Bible speaks clearly about your spiritual state. Humanity is his subject here. Hear me. This is not a Western thing. No, it's not an American thing. It's not an Asian, African, or European thing. Or any other select people group that you consider yourself a part of. The Apostle Paul's words are clarifying and meant to be fog-cutting. The Bible defines that we're spiritually in one of two places. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. Now, to be in Adam means that currently, right now, whether you feel dead or not, Scripture says you are spiritually dead. You're in darkness, separated from God because of sin. That's what he says in verse 22. In Adam, all die. Now, what that means is that when the first man, Adam, sinned by divine appointment, he represented the whole human race that would follow him. And his sin, therefore, affects you, all human beings. Your sin is actually more like Adam's than not. Adam sinned because he actually did not believe God, God's purpose for his life, God's best for his life. He did not believe it. He took things into his own hands. His unbelief is frankly a whole lot more like ours than different. And the second place is to be in Christ. Now, to be in Christ means that you have seen light. You know the life of Jesus. You've been reconciled to God because of Christ's work. In Christ shall all be made alive. He is ultimately talking about resurrection, that death will not hold the Christian. It will not hold you. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 20. This is a comparison passage. It's in your bulletin. Sometime you ought to go read that, that piece. And it explores the contrast between being in Adam and being in Christ. And what is ours because of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection? Similarly, Christ represented all who would belong to him. And his obedience affects all of those who have trusted him. Now, here are the two. In Adam, in Christ. There are two, and there are only two spiritual states biblically. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about being in Christ today. Because for those of you who call Grace Fellowship home, you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. I am convinced that most of us live a good deal of our life not understanding what God has done for us and who we actually are. See, many of us do not live as God intends. We don't see. We do not live with a victory. In fact, this morning, a quiet conversation with you might reveal that you would say that you're struggling. You know that you've ultimately trusted Christ you do believe what he did for you on the cross, but somehow life has become unmanageable for you. Fear, 
guilt, shame, temptation, failure, unbelief. These are the things that at this moment in your life, you would say, I believe that that actually more characterizes me than what it means to live in the victory of knowing that I belong to Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, fellow believer, God sees you right where you are, right in this moment. And he wants you to be set free from just seeing your life as a mess, in a rough spot. And you might even be tempted to compare yourself to other people thinking, well, compared to that person, I'm doing okay. Who you are in Christ when framed appropriately and meditated on habitually will change how you approach your daily living. It's foundational for your identity. It's understandably important for your purpose. And if you sit here thinking, hey, Brian, haven't I heard you talk about this before? Isn't this your thing? Isn't this identity thing a big part about what you portray, what you talk about? And I would say to you, yes, thank you. Thank you for noticing. And here is the reason why. I want you to know if we hang around each other very long, we're eventually going to make our way to how you see yourself, to your identity. It was no small thing in the New Testament. It is no small thing for Paul. In fact, it is the cornerstone, these two words, in Christ, is the summation of Paul's theology for the believer. So it's not a small thing, New Testament. It's not a small thing for Brian Fannin. It is a big thing biblically. So I want to show you. I would be remiss if we didn't spend just a few moments looking at one of those places where Paul talks about what it means to be in Christ. So if you have your Bible, like I said, we're going to jump around. Turn to the book of Ephesians. If you're in 1 Corinthians, just flip over a couple of books. 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, then Ephesians. And we're not going to have time to look at everything that Paul says. We're going to talk about a few things that he points out from Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to do a little reference in Ephesians chapter 2. As Paul wrote this letter, notice what he says. He begins this letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Florence. Is that what it says? No, it says Ephesus. And I want to tell you, because it says Ephesus, many of us, what we do is we just then look at it and we just read right on and we just skip through. But do you understand that Paul's admonition, his writing to this church, was meant to convey to them fundamental, foundational biblical truth for their life. And so we need to see this letter is to who? You. To me. And he says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin looking with me every time you see the, the two words in Christ or the summation of the same, in the beloved and in him. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, there it is, in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us, there it is, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. God's word speaks. And it tells us some things about who you are that you must hold on to if you're going to know the victory of your position in Christ. First thing he says here, if you are in Christ, do you know that Paul says that everything that you're ever going to need spiritually has already been provided in Jesus? That's what he's talking about in verse 3. In fact, he goes on in Philippians chapter 4, for those of you who find yourself circumstantially in a place where you feel like you're in need, God says to you, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Do you know what I'm glad that that says there? It's about his riches, not mine. Not what I've laid up, but what he has done. He also says that if you're in Christ... You are adopted as sons and daughters. That's verses four and five. Do you know that adoption is different than than just a biological birth? Do you know, you recognize that God chose to bring you into his family, to make you his own, to call you his son, to call you his daughter? That's what he has done for us in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you are also forgiven. You may not feel forgiven, But Christ's death redeemed you. It brought you back. He purchased you. And if you are in Christ, you have an inheritance. And all of these things are worked by God to bring your life to a place where it will be ultimately to the praise of his glory. I am convinced that most Christians live their life daily with this just kind of out there. It's that by and by thing that God once did, and now it's just kind of up to you to figure out life. See, I'm not asking you if your life is difficult. I know your life is difficult. I know there's temptations. I know that there's hardships. I know there's disappointments. I'm not asking you if you have it all together. I'm not telling you that there are no struggles that you will face I'm telling you that when you think correctly, it invades how you live and live appropriately. I'm compelling you to continually see what God has done for you. Your position in Christ matters. In fact, God, what he does, he does it for us when we're dead. 
Chapter two talks about a but God moment, but God being rich in mercy with which a great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead made us alive together with Christ. You may feel like you have nothing to offer to God. Good news. God makes you alive when you're dead. God makes you new when you feel like that you can't be new. See, for the person who has trusted Christ, these things are genuinely true of you. Being in Christ is more than information. These are truths that to transform how you live, what you do next. Now, let me ask you just some honest, I want to just be some frank conversation, frank questions to you. Hear me out. Has the church, this book that you hold, and what we do here become actually more like a memorial service for you than a present moment encounter with your God? Do you view these things that we teach as somehow, that again, that bygone stuff, what God used to do? And I meet Christians regularly who feel stuck. And I feel like, or not, I, I'm convinced that they are stuck because they do not see themselves appropriately and they don't live out of it. They stuck because they see their lives sometimes in a day like today as unique. They feel unique. Their circumstances are unique because we live in a unique time. Oh, ask yourself this question. Is the trajectory of your life different because of what you actually believe about Jesus? We use church words around here all the time. These church words are important. They matter. Words like justification, being redeemed, being reconciled, being saved. And Christians, we use labels too. We gather together and we start labeling who we are. We're Baptists and we're EV free or we're Lutheran, Methodist, Pentecostal. Here's what I want to ask you to do today. Let's just strip that away. Let's strip all that stuff away. And let's ask this question. Are you following Jesus? Have you trusted him? And trusted him and him alone for right standing with God. Don't miss this. You do have a spiritual position. And what you actually believe plays out in how you live. In fact, that position impacts your mission in life. That's number two thing I want you to see today. Your spiritual position, whether in Adam or in Christ, will impact how you see your mission in life. When's the last time you asked yourself this question? What do I want out of life? What do I want out of life? That's an important question. But I want to tell you that's not the most telling question. The most telling question is this. What do my actions say about what I actually want out of life? What do my actions on a daily basis show that what I want out of life? And because Christians have a tendency to forget to whom they belong and what God has called us to be and what he has 
willing to do in our life, as he is at work in our life, we, like everyone else, we tend to drift off who we are and what God's designed us to be, and we began seeking what we want. What we all want. To some degree or another, we all want to be happy. To have the things in life that make us happy, including relationships or jobs, money, experiences, We define life from where we live, what we buy, who we know. In other words, we live not recognizing that we fail to live out of our identity. And therefore, we struggle to understand our God-ordained mission. That God-ordained mission to live with purpose to glorify God. You and I have been given mercy and grace. As we have been given mercy and grace, what are we here to do? We are to be givers of mercy and grace. Yes, mercy and grace to people who act a whole lot differently than we do. Who see life a whole lot differently than we can. You've come to know him. Do you know that God has called you to make him known? Scripture tells us that we have been transformed out of the dominion of darkness and been placed in the kingdom of light. These are true of you. But how do you begin to apply it? How in the world do we go from understanding who we are in Christ and begin living that out? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. All right. Because it's an important question. It's a question that we've got to come back to. And here at the beginning of the year is a good time for us to ask again who we are and where we're going. Because there are good churches besides Grace Fellowship Church. I am so grateful that God has strong witnesses even here in greater Cincinnati. But I want you to know that no church has been more impactful on my life and on my family than Grace Fellowship Church. I did not come to Grace Fellowship to work. I was a part of Grace Fellowship and this was my church family before I worked here. This church changed my life. And I believe one of the ways it changed my life is by reminding themselves yearly, ourselves, that we are going to keep things simple. We have a simple format to keep the main thing central. And we've defined our focus by a mission statement that directs us. If you don't remember what that mission statement is in this moment, we're going to take just a few minutes and we're going to talk about it. The first part of our mission is this. We make it our mission to gather. Do you know what you're doing this morning? You're gathering. You're gathering. Grace Fellowship gathers in truth to worship God. We gather unapologetically around the truth of God's word. God's word speaks, and it speaks to us. Do you know when? Today. God's word speaks today. We gather regularly. We gather habitually. And if it is not your habit, I want to commend you to make it your habit. Make church attendance your habit. No place in Scripture is the Christian life ever a private affair. Did you know that? 
It's not a private thing. Your spiritual life is not a private thing. Done on your own without other people. Nor is it done if you don't have something better to do. It is to be prioritized. In fact, the book of Hebrews, the writer in the book of Hebrews, I'm just going to read you what he says to the believers in chapter 10, verse 23. The writer said, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then in verse 24, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you catch that? Did you hear it? Not forsake the assembling together, the meeting together. And he says this, as was the habit of some. So there it is. It's habitual to meet, and it easily can become habitually not to meet, not to come. I believe a chief strategy of our enemy is to separate you from God's people, to lure you into believing that whatever we do here is secondary. Some that call Grace Fellowship home, I want you to know we love you. So grateful that you've tuned in today. But I want you to know evidence would be that you have made it a habit not to meet. Joining online has an appropriate time. There are things when it is appropriate. Pandemics are one of those things. However, this should never become your new thing. It should never become the new normal for you. I want to say, you are missed. Come back. We gather corporately to remind ourselves that as the people of God, we're family. And God's family is big, it's diverse. We gather to worship corporately and to be used by God to spur one another on, to love one another, and yes, to serve one another. Second thing we do, we do not just gather, we also make it our mission to grow. Are you growing? We believe people here grow best in close range. And we grow by grace to be more like Christ. And we do this by getting up close to one another. We say things like circles are typically better than rows. What does that mean? It means that we place and will continue to place heavy, heavy emphasis on you. Yes, you in a community group. You need a community group. It is there where relationships form. That small group. Community is found. Do you know that we believe, we really do believe that Bible study is good. We also believe community group is better. It's better. And you need one. People grow in community and they grow by serving one another. And do you know that serving is not about an obligation that you have to God? Do you know that God takes pleasure in serving you? In using you, pouring himself out through you. 
What did Jesus say? He did not come to be served. What? But to serve. That's what Jesus did. And you become conformed to the image of Jesus by serving. We need you to grow and change by getting off the sideline and begin investing your life and serving. Even in your weakness, do you know that God loves to pour out his grace in you? It will change you. And there are, other some, there are other good ways to grow. And as I mentioned just briefly in announcements this morning, we're going to introduce a couple of them this year. And I want to encourage you to take advantage of them. Bible basics on Sunday morning. Look, there are some things that I want to give you a hint about. You're going to learn some things about the Christian life that it is actually a battle and a fight. And one of the battles in the fight is a war against what you think you know the Bible teaches. What what you think it means to be a man or a woman of God. What it actually looks like is often different than what we assume it to be. And I do want to invite you. I'm excited about the Florence Campus Book Club. We're going to read some good things together. Some things that I felt like, yeah, that impacted me. And it can impact you. We together, up close to one another, we can consider what does God say to us about how to apply wisdom in our lives. So yeah, we gather, we grow, but we also make it our mission to go. Jesus did not die, as we've said so many times, for us to just kind of huddle up here on this hill. We're commissioned to go. We're commissioned to go here locally, there in the tri-state, across regionally, and around the world. And believe it or not, your life is lived with some kind of mission. And as believers, often weak and often scared, we make it our mission to show the difference that Christ has made in our life. I can't see it in all the different campuses I can't see all the faces. I can't see those at home. But I do know this. I know that most of us arrived here because someone invited us here. Someone told us about grace. Someone said, you should come to church with me. Someone invited you. Aren't you glad they did not keep their mouth shut Aren't you glad that those first century Christians, scared for their life, would not keep their mouth shut? And by God's grace, we're here because of it. And some of you have lost sight. We have lost sight. We've become crusty that our mission field is right in our back door. Our neighborhood, our family, our friends, our workmates. It's not all about going to the other side of the world. It starts right in your back door. If you feel stuck, you can get unstuck. Jump onto Grace Fellowship's website. Look under our mission page. There's all kinds of mission initiatives, local and beyond, that you can avail yourself to. You can involve yourself with. You can pray for and volunteer in. Now, if this gathering, growing, and going sounds new to you, this is our church's mission statement. We know that you can come to know God. 
You can be transformed by the gospel through this gathering, through this growing, and through the going. We're not going to be about denominations. We're not going to be about just policies or pet causes. We want you to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus high and lifted up and see the difference that Christ makes in your life to live in light of it. Now remember, there's two. Only two spiritual positions. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. And if nothing about knowing Jesus or his church is compelling to you, the Bible tells you that you are in Adam. And by hearing that, you might assume that the people around you who are in Christ, who know Jesus, see themselves as better than you. And I want you to know, you may not have been wrong about anything else in your day so far, but right there, you're wrong. In fact, all of us in this room have known a time when we are a lost soul. The only person who's typically open to be called a lost soul is the person who's saying it about themselves. And this morning, you really might feel like you have very little in common with people around you. But there is something that you do know this morning. You know your heart is hungry for God, for the true God. Your heart longs to know, is there victory outside of what you're living? I want to point you to a passage of Scripture that I believe that we should revisit, that actually Pastor Brad preached in February of 2021, that will provide insight into what a hungry soul can experience when they see Jesus. So with your Bible... Turn back to the book of Luke. Now, we're going to be back in Luke soon. I'm going to make a little plug for next week. I know what Pastor Brad has planned for next week, and I'm going to encourage you to be present. As God has spoken powerfully through Brad, speaking about the big rock of sovereignty, he's going to revisit that next week. Luke chapter 5. Look at verse 12 and 13. Luke wrote, while he, he's talking about Jesus, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now the details that Luke provides should provide insight for us about the state of this man. Notice the descriptor about his leprosy. What does he say he has? He is what? Full of leprosy. 
the details. This guy was not simply stricken by this flesh-eating disease. He was full of it. The disease cuts those who have it off from human contact. Everywhere this man went, he would have to call out, unclean, unclean, don't get near me. He had to warn people that he was leprous. And this person is much like the person that we taint. You say, what do you mean, Brian? Well, you know what I mean. You know what it's like to see someone and know what they have done, what they've done to their life from the choices that they've made, how they've wrecked it, how they've impacted those that they cared for. And do you know what we're really good at? We're really good at stigmatizing them. We make sure that when we look at it, them, it follows them. We treat them as unclean. But this man, Scripture says here that he sees Jesus. Oh, this is so important for all of us today. Seeing him sets a course for what he does. In the book of Job in the Old Testament... Job, at the end of the book, speaks to God and he says, I had heard of you, but now my eye, what, sees you. There's a difference. You and I can hear all the stories, but seeing Jesus for who he is always has an element of seeing yourself for who you are. And when this man sees Jesus, he responds in a life-altering way. The direction of his life changed. Being in Adam means you are in death, in darkness, and in sin. But Christ is life. Christ is light. And when we see him accurately, clear lines are drawn. There is hope in Jesus. There's hope for you. And when you're truly desperate as this man was, you are actually most apt to respond as needed. Notice what this guy does. When he sees Jesus, he comes up and he falls down before him and begs. Begs. Begging is not dignified. Nobody likes to beg. But when you see yourself as you are in Adam and you see your life lost without Christ, and your life is unclean and without hope, begging is appropriate. It's that moment you're most desperate, and when you are most desperate, you're able to respond to him, and you act in faith. And he says to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, there's two aspects here. Do you see it? If you will. Do you know what that's a question about? If you will. Is is Jesus good? And you can make me clean is about his power. If you will, are you good? I know you can make me clean. His competence and his goodness are at stake. The question is, is he willing? But Jesus shows us what kind of savior he is. See, Luke's details 
again, shows us Jesus is often not like us. He is not afraid to touch you. The crowd, let me just tell you, folks, the crowd following Jesus, this is their moment. They're watching this. They hear this guy. They see what he does. And this is what they would have done. They know he's a leper. They know what it's like to hear unclean, unclean, unclean. Stay away, stay away, stay away. This is what they would have done. They would have went, oh, oh no. That's what they would have done. Same thing we do. Jesus does what the men and women in that scene would never do. He does not just speak. Jesus leans in. Jesus is not concerned about what other people say about you. They're not con- he's not concerned at all about what they say about him. Do you know, church, that Jesus does not need our protecting? He is not afraid of catching anything from you. He comes to deliver. And what that man did not expect, Jesus did. What the crowd would never do, Jesus does. He touches what we wouldn't. He makes clean, and he does it immediately. He does it by the word of his mouth. Believers and unbelievers, you, we all know in this room what it's like to feel unclean. Christians lose sight of the Savior and his merciful grace that he offers to us. I want to ask you, do you want to be new? Do you desire to be fresh and clean? Unbeliever, Scripture tells you that you are in Adam. But I want you to know that God stands ready to place you in Christ today. He is willing when you respond in faith to him. Again, I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not asking you to be a church member. I'm not asking you to go clean up your life and then God will do something for you. Jesus encounters, please hear this church. Do you know that Jesus encounters the spiritual leper in every person in this room? And when we place our faith in him, do you know what he does? He responds with, I am willing. Be clean. He says, I will make you clean through my death for your sins. May we be reminded of that. May we be heralds of that at all times. Would you pray with me? Father, for for Christian and unbeliever both this morning who long to encounter change, would you please show that you are the God of change? We celebrate that Jesus is sufficient. And today, men, women, boys, and girls in this room Maybe for the first time are coming to you and 
They just want a fresh start. They want to see Jesus and to know that his death on the cross pays for their sins. Show them that now, Lord. And whoever you may be today, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, today, faith in Christ, seeing yourself as born anew will change the direction of your life. It changes the mission of your existence. Oh, Lord, show us that. Show us that and draw us to the truth of that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.